Telling your boss that you love them may not be the wisest thing in the world to do. Actually, it reminds me of when I was a, a, a postgrad student at uni. Uh, I had a friend, a really nice, nice guy, a uh, good, good friend, but he had a habit of getting drunk at departmental functions and would spend the evening going up to the, the, the head of the department and telling them how much he loved them. Not a thing you would want to do, and he was very embarrassed about it in the morning. But on the last night with his disciples before going to the cross, Jesus wasn't embarrassed about expressing his love. And he called his disciples to respond to that love by loving as they're loved. So we're going to look at John chapter 15 this morning, continuing where we have left off. So it's John chapter 15, uh, verse 9 down to verse 17, continuing what Jesus has been speaking to his disciples on his last night before he went to the cross. So John chapter 15 and verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. There's a story about the famous German theologian, Karl Barth, who visited the United States in 1962 on a a series of lectures. And one night he was speaking at a seminary in Virginia. And afterwards he met with some of the students for an informal chat. And during this conversation, one of the students asked him if he could summarize his whole life's work in theology, in a sentence. Bart paused for a moment, everybody waiting to, waited to hear, expecting to hear some profound insight from his years of study. But instead, Bart summarized his theology in this. He said, in the words of a song I learned at my mother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's such a simple statement, isn't it? Jesus loves you. And yet, it's the most profound truth. And if we could really accept this, if we could let it impact how we see ourselves, and impact how we relate to God and to other people, then it would be life transforming. So Jesus told his disciples that that night, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Sadly, there are so many people who do not know this truth. 
Earlier, in John chapter 5, Jesus had said to the Jews, I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. Now these people, they were religious they were people who went, who were very committed to their religion and they read the Bible and they, they attended the synagogue and they went through all of the, the religious ceremonies. And yet they hadn't understood or been connected to God's love. And there are many people like that today. Some people feel too bad or too messed up for God ever to love them. Other people assume, wrongly, that they're loved by God because they're so good. Or because they do so many good things. Some people think that God's love means that it doesn't matter how they live. Or what they believe. While other people are terrified that if they really mess up in some big way, then God won't love them anymore. Others constantly try to earn God's love through religious activities or good behaviour. But other people just don't even know that they need this love. And instead try and find meaning and purpose and value in hundreds and one other things. Or other people. Now, In some ways it's not surprising that there is so much confusion about God's love. Because Jesus' love is not like the love that we see all around us. It's greater. It's better. It's more wonderful. It's very, very different. Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus was this. That they would have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. His prayer that they would know the love of Christ, even although Paul said that it went beyond what anybody could know. So how are we supposed to know the love of Jesus that surpasses knowledge? How can we know how much we're loved by God when it's beyond our comprehension? Well, look at what Jesus said here. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. As mind-blowing as it sounds, if we have trusted in Jesus, then we are loved by Jesus as the Father has loved Him. We're loved by Jesus as the Father has loved Him. So what does that, that teach us about? Well, one of the things is it teaches us that we're loved eternally. Later on that night, Jesus prayed to his Father and said, You loved me before the creation of the world. As far back as you can go, before this world began, the Father always loved the Son. And the Bible says that Jesus has loved us in the same way. Paul wrote that in love, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Before this world began, God loved us. I know that some, for some people, that just blows their minds and they don't like thinking about this. But that's amazing, isn't it? That God loved us before he even created this world. So in eternity past, God loved us and he'll always love us. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. 
And so Psalm 103 says, From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him. Jesus has always loved us and always will love us. So His love is eternal. And this isn't a partial or a, or a limited or a reserved kind of love. It's enthusiastic. It's expressive. That's how the Father loves His Son. So much so that when Jesus was baptized, it was as if the, the God burst out of heaven and declared, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. And then again at the Mount of Transfiguration, when the glory of Jesus was revealed on that, on that mountain, the Father again declared, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. And Jesus loves us in that same enthusiastic, that same unreserved way. He didn't shout from heaven, but instead He came from heaven to earth. To declare his love for us. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. That we might live. Through him. And thirdly he came to love us in an intimate relationship. Jesus said about his father. The father loves his son. And shows him all he does. Their love binds them together in communion and fellowship of sharing with each other. And Jesus loves us in the same kind of intimate way. In the Old Testament, two guys were, were declared as being friends of God. Moses and Abraham. For example, in, in Exodus 3, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. But this is the privilege of all who have trusted in Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples in our passage in verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Servant or a slave, as it's more literally, just, doesn't, just does what he's told. Without understanding his master's dealings. He's just ordered to do something and he does it. But Jesus has opened up his heart to us. And to his disciples. He wants us to know him. He wants us to learn his truth. He wants us to understand his purpose. He wants us to connect to his heart. He wants us to be united with him. In his mission. So yes, we are called to serve Him as our King. We are called to obey Him as our Lord. We are called to worship Him as our God. But as staggering as it sounds, we're also called to know Him as a friend. To spend time with Jesus. To fellowship with Him. To, to learn from Him. To enjoy His presence. To be with Him. But this love doesn't just give us the incredible privilege of friendship with Jesus. It also gives us the purpose of living for him. 
The father's love for the son led him to entrust him with the mission of saving the world. The father loves the son, Jesus says in John chapter 3, and has placed everything in his hands. And Jesus' love for us has led him to invite us to be part of that mission. So verse 16, Jesus said this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. That's connected to what we were thinking about last week, if you were here. How Jesus has chosen us to bear fruit for him. He's chosen us to increasingly display the character of Jesus in our lives. To increasingly live in obedience to his will. And increasingly be involved in the mission of bringing people to himself. And this calling is so worthwhile. It's so meaningful because this fruit that we're working for, this fruit that we're supposed to produce by remaining in Jesus, is not temporary or short-lived. We're not supposed to give our lives to something that's just going to last a few years. But this lasts for all eternity. What we do for Jesus has eternal significance and meaning. So Paul wrote this, one of my my favourite verses. I know I say that about a lot of them, but this is one of them. Is 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. It says, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Because of the reality of the fact that what we do today is of eternal significance, then it's never a waste of time. It's never empty. Even if we don't see results from it, we can trust that God will make it worthwhile. Whatever we do for God is of eternal value. That's one of the things that really encouraged me in my life. And it's an amazing privilege. But unlike Jesus, we don't deserve it. We are not worthy of that eternal, enthusiastic, intimate love. We don't deserve the privilege of of bearing fruit for him. Or being his friends. Because we continue to fall short of God's standards, don't we? None of us here are going to claim that we live exactly the way that Jesus lived. But Jesus' love for us is gracious. It's undeserved. Jesus said to his disciples, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Jesus' love for his disciples was not a response to their love for him. Instead, it was because he is love. And he loved them. And he chose them. And it's the same for us. Our love, or our Jesus' love for us, is not a response to our love for him. Instead, it's because he loved us. Because he is love. He loved us when we were still sinners. When we were still powerless. When we were rebelling against him. When we were far from him. 
So his love for us is unconditional. It's undeserved. It's unearned. It's not something we can boast of as if it's something that we have deserved or we've attained. It's a gift. This is love, John writes in 1 John 4.10. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. A sacrifice that would cover over our sins. And this is the ultimate reason why his love is so amazing. He loved us even although it would cost them everything. Jesus says this in verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. This is the kind of sacrifice that the world honours, isn't it? It's the heroic firefighter rushing into a burning building to save the people inside. Or it's of parents who give up their dreams in order to provide for their kids. Or of soldiers who sacrifice themselves for their comrades. Or for doctors who go into places where everyone else is trying to get out of to look after the sick, to look after those who are infected. But Jesus went so much further. Because he didn't just lay down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for his enemies to make them friends. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross of Jesus is the greatest demonstration of love as the most perfect human being suffered the most awful punishment for the most undeserving of people to give them the most wonderful gift of salvation. This is how wide and high and long and deep the love of Jesus is. He always loved us and he always will. His love is unreserved and complete. It is the the love of a close friend that gives us purpose and meaning in life even although we don't deserve it. And even although it would cost him everything. Even his death on the cross to pay for our sins. This is how Jesus loves us. But in our passage, Jesus didn't just want the disciples to know about this love. He wanted them to, as he says in verse 9, remain in my love. What does that mean? What does it mean to remain in in the love of Jesus? What does it mean to abide in it? What does it mean to stay in it? Well, it obviously includes things like believing it, not running away from it, not questioning it or rejecting it. It's about accepting it without trying to earn it or work for it. It's resting in it rather than living in the fear of it being taken away from us. It's rejoicing in it because we recognise its value. It's letting the truth of it 
sink down deep into our hearts, into our very being. God wants us to be increasingly assured of the love of Jesus in our life. And to stay in that love. He wants us to be able to say with Paul that I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God wants us to remain in Jesus' love. I think if we could do that, that would be life-transforming. But remaining in Jesus' love isn't just something that we internally know. It's also something that we externally live out. Look at verse 10. If you obey my commands, Jesus said, you will remain in my love. Abiding in the love of Jesus means letting his love transform us from the inside out, but it's something that we need to live out. It means living in a proper relationship with Jesus. It means accepting him as the Lord of our life and seeking to live in obedience with what he said. Obedience is the practical outworking of staying in the love of Jesus. So Jesus said, you are my friends. If you do what I command. Because that's what Jesus did with his father, isn't it? He called us to obey here, verse 10, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. So the Father loves Jesus and Jesus remains in that love and obeys His Father's commands. That's what we've seen throughout the Gospel of John. That everything Jesus did or said was in perfect obedience to His Father. And that wasn't motivated by fear or guilt or obligation. He wasn't obeying because he was afraid of what would happen if he didn't. Rather, it was motivated by love, that obedience. His perfect obedience was an outward expression of the loving relationship that he had with his father. And we are called to do the same. Paul wrote this, so we make it our goal to please him. To stay in Jesus' love means that we seek to live in a way that honours him and glorifies him and pleases him, but not out of fear or guilt or obligation, but out of love for the one who first loved us. Again, John writes a lot about this in his letter. So he says, we love because he first loved us. Obedience is a response, a grateful, a a rejoicing response to that undeserved, unearned, unlimited, unending love for us. But I think our obedience also flows out of their confidence in Jesus' love in another way. 
No, it's not just a response to his love in, the, in that kind of sense of gratitude or, or amazement. It's also that if we're certain that Jesus loves us perfectly, then we won't be tempted to think that his commands for us are too difficult or too demanding or unfair. Instead, we'll be certain that Jesus' commands for us are good, pleasing and perfect. Why? Because he loves us in a perfect way. So Jesus promised here, verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. The Christian life is not supposed to be one of grudging submission or miserable compliance. I know sometimes you wouldn't think that by looking at us. Sometimes we look a bit miserable. But that's not what it's about. We shouldn't be feeling as if we're losing out on life because we have to follow Jesus and do what he asks us to. Yes, of course, there is a cost in following Jesus. Jesus made that absolutely clear. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Carrying your cross is, as I said before, it's not about, you know, you've got a, you've got a horrible wife, so that's your cross that you have to bear, or you've got a, a nagging husband and you're, you've got a tough cross to bear. It's not that. Somebody carrying the cross is a dead man walking. He's walking to his execution every day. He's saying, it's not about me. It's not about my life. It's not about what I want. It's saying no to that. And whatever Jesus says, But Jesus went on to say, that's not so that we lose out on life. It's rather so that we can experience life in all its fullness. He said, verse 24 of Luke chapter 9, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. So being confident of Jesus' love will lead to obedience. Because we believe, we are sure that his commands for us are the best. So you know when we're reading God's word and we're seeing what God is asking us to do? We should do that with eagerness, with enthusiasm. Desperate to know because we believe that these commands are the best we could ever read and the best that we could ever follow. This is the best way to live. Why are we so sure? Because Jesus loves us perfectly. He has his best interests at heart. So what did Jesus want us to do? Well, he summarized what his command is. Verse 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Jesus had already taught this in John chapter 13, just a couple of minutes earlier. But he believed it was worth repeating. And he repeated it again in verse 17 in our passage. This is so important because it's the, the, because it's the outflowing of remaining in Jesus' love. If we remain in Jesus' love, then we will be so transformed by that that we will love others in the way that we've been loved. So what does that mean? Well, that's... It takes a lifetime to learn what that all means. That's the core of the Christian life. But it means things like this. To love each other with a faithful love. A love that never fails. 
like Jesus, eternal love for us. It's about being devoted to one another in brotherly love, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12. It's to be expressive and enthusiastic in our love for one another. As Paul teaches the church in Corinth, to greet one another with a holy kiss. We might want to change that into a hug or a handshake. Uh, to be a little bit more con- compliant with our culture. But it's to be expressed. Not just assumed. Not just kind of reserved. We've to called to share with each other God's truth. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Not a job just for one guy up the front in church, but all of us are to do that. To share with with each other the truth of God. To encourage each other, to, to express our love for each other. It means to encourage each other to fulfill God's purpose in our lives. Consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Keep going. Don't give up. You're doing great. That's amazing. I know it's hard, but keep on going. And of course it means to love when the other person doesn't deserve it. To bear with each other. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And they might be the small, kind of niggly little things that people might do that really bug our nut. Sorry. Get on, get on our nerves, maybe that's a better way to put it. Or maybe they may be huge things that people do against us and that hurt us and deep, deeply wound us. But this love means to love even when it costs us everything. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. That's the high standard that Jesus is calling to us to. This is the fruit that Jesus is looking for in our lives. It's to love each other as we've been loved. But we're not left in our own devices for, to, to try and produce this in our, in, our, in our lives, to bear that fruit. As we thought about last week and the last week before that, this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit as He lives in us, transforming us, empowering us. And then Jesus reminded us that as we seek to live this way, we can depend on Jesus' love for us. Jesus promised, verse 16, Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. As I've seen before, this is not a blank check. To get what we want. Asking in Jesus' name is asking in accordance with Jesus' will. In keeping with his character and his priorities. It's to ask for what Jesus would ask for. It's to ask for what pleases him. In a way that brings him glory. So if we remain in his love, then we can pray with confidence that God will answer our prayers as we seek to obey his commands. As we seek to follow his will. And as we seek to love others as we have been loved. So folks, let's not be embarrassed about expressing real love. Because we are loved by Jesus more than we'll ever understand. So let's stay in that love. 
Let's build our lives on that firm foundation. And let it change our lives so that we obey his commands and express this love to each other and depend on it in our everyday lives.